Forgiveness from the sermon series Upside Down, spoken by Pastor Peter on. Hey, listen, you know, forgiving people is a very unnatural act. It's not natural. And that's why people don't know how to do it well. Yeah, I don't know how many of you actually know and have met people that forgive people really well. Like they really excel at this. It's not a natural thing. Forgiveness or forgiving people is actually supernatural. But isn't that what this series is about? Upside down kingdom? That when you think about God, everything that God is about is really counterintuitive. It's literally the opposite of how the world responds to things. And so when people are wrong, when they're betrayed, when there's infidelity, when, when, when our kids or other people disappoint us in really deep ways, naturally, you can't forgive them. We don't have it within us. And that's the state of our brokenness many times. That's why we can't forgive people many times. And the only way we can do it, it's really a supernatural act that as Jesus lives inside of us through the Holy Spirit, then we're able to take on and participate in a supernatural act on forgiveness. And that's really difficult. But as we've been learning over the past several months, is that this idea of being a part of the kingdom of God, this idea of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, because I want to believe that many of you here consider yourself to be disciples. We have to be really good at this. We cannot be like the world. That really, they're remedial when it comes to forgiving other people that have wronged them. And so remember at the beginning of chapter 18, a couple of weeks ago, the disciples just, they wanted to know, they're like, Jesus, how do I become the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he says, well, if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, you got to be like this little kid. Right? It's not that kids aren't sin, that they don't sin. No, kids sin. But here's what I think about kids when they're, they're, they're so special is that when I look at my three kids, they're like older now. But when they were young, do you know how many times they forgive, forgave me of the same sin? Like I go up to them like every time and say, hey, would you forgive me? And they would never say like, dad, that's like the sixth time you did this in like a month. Right? They would never say that. They would always say yes. And I never found any of my three kids ever keeping a record of wrong. That usually happens as they get older. <laughs> and then they start keeping a record of wrong. They're saying, well, all right, I guess I'll forgive you now. But, you know, just want to let you know, you did this already. All right. But the child, the innocence, but the openness of their willingness to forgive. If you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you and I have to participate in the great supernatural act of forgiving those who have deeply wronged us. It's a supernatural act. And what I want to do today is I want to talk about how do we do that. Why do we have, why, well, first of all, the question is why should we forgive? Because the offense that was done to you is so deep for some of us. Why? Why do I need to forgive? And then the second part is how do I begin that journey to start forgiving those people who have actually really hurt me. All right, so those are the two things we're going to answer today. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 18. We'll look at verses 21 to 35. And we've, we've actually focused on this verse many of times, but it's a part of this series, and we want to go through it again. Matthew 18, verses 21 to 35. I'm going to read from the New International Version. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, some of your translations says seven times 70. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, circle that in your Bible if you have it, was brought to him. 
since he was not able to pay the master, since he was not able to pay the master order that he and his wife and his children, all that he had, be sold to repay the debt. At this, a servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and, be and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. That's the word of God. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Lord, none of us in this room, I would dare to say, are really good at forgiving those who have hurt us. It's not easy. And Lord, we know it was not easy for you as well. Father, we know how difficult it was for you. Lord, help us to get in deep into this text so that we can be set free today. I pray, God, that you would help us to take this journey, embrace a forgiveness challenge that I do believe will transform our lives in the next 30 days. So God, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room and those watching online, I pray, God, that, that it would indeed be pleasing unto you. And it's in your name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. amen. All right, so why do we need to forgive others? Why do we need to forgive others? There are a lot of different reasons. Some people would say so that we can be set free, you know, so that we can, you know, sort of uh, be in a place where we can be blessed by God. Yeah, I think those are all good answers. But the main reason, the only reason why you and I need to forgive other people is because Jesus, our king, commands us to. That's it. Jesus, our king, commands us to forgive. Now, you guys know that over the last couple of weeks, we've established this idea of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a monarchy. It's not a democracy, meaning there is no debate. You can't say, well, I don't know about that. No, if your king says you are to do something, if you've ever lived in a monarchy, there is no disagreement to it. And so this is a command that you and I have to live in obedience to. And the reason why we should forgive, the only reason why we should forgive is because our king, Jesus, tells us that we must forgive. This is an act of the disciples. These are what disciples do when they are wrong, when they are hurt, they forgive. This is something that we must grow and desire to want to be better at. And so let's just look at verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Listen, when Peter goes to Jesus, he wasn't setting the bar low. He raised the bar seven times. Can you imagine forgiving somebody of the same sin seven times? Can you imagine loaning your friend money? Like, not like a dollar, but loaning them a lot of money, and you loaned it to them seven times, and they never paid you back? Could you imagine that? Would you be able to forgive them seven times? Paul would never lend them another dollar after one time, right? I know families that have broken up their relationships, brothers no longer being brothers anymore, like blood-related brothers, because they won't pay back a debt. 
seven times. We said infidelity today. Could you imagine if your spouse committed adultery on you seven times? Would you be able to forgive them seven times? So what you got to realize that Peter wasn't setting the bar low. Man, seven was a lot. And Jesus blows him away and says, no, 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 not seven times, 77 times. Or in your translation, some of yours say seven times 70, which is 490 times. Basically, in God's mathematics, what that literally means is that there is no set number. It's infinity. As Christians, you and I are to always forgive people who have wronged us, even though they may do it with a high level of repetition. That we must be willing to forgive those people who have deeply deeply wronged us. You see, this is not about you waiting till you feel like it. If you're a high feeler, sometimes we say, well, you know what? I'll forgive when I start to feel like forgiving. If you're going to wait till you feel like forgiving someone, you're going to wait a very long time. Because I have, in all my years, when I've forgiven somebody, I've never felt it. And I'm a high feeler. Okay. I'm a high feeler. I never feel like forgiving somebody. It's a command that you and I must obey. I am not trying to minimize. God is not trying to minimize what has been done to you because for some of you, the, the things that have been done to you is awful. I get it. But the greater thing that might be more awful and will be more awful is when you and I choose not to forgive. Why would Jesus command us to do this? Do you think because Jesus wants to make your life miserable? Sometimes I think we think like God just, like some, I meet people where they say, I don't know if I want to like live fully for God. And I said, Why? Because he might tell me to like to go to some obscure location in the world and make my life there forever. Like, come on, God's not out to like make your life miserable. Sometimes we think that God wants us to forgive because he wants to make our life miserable. No, that's not it. You know why God wants you to forgive? It's because if you don't, your soul will rot. Your soul will corrode. It will be awful, awful. Look at what, look at what Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27. We frequented this verse many times. Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. Some of your translations says, in your bitterness, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give devil, the devil a foothold. Circle, underline that word foothold. That word literally in the Greek means grounds. What that means is that you give the devil legal rights, permission to your soul. That's what that means. My former professor, Dr. Charles Kraft, he's probably the foremost scholar on demonization and spiritual warfare. And he says that demons are like rats and cockroaches. That's what he says. And he says that when we are unwilling to forgive people, what that does is that it rots our soul like garbage. And he says, you know who loves garbage? Rats and cockroaches. And so when your soul begins, when you start to get to a place where you say, I'm not going to forgive this person who has wronged me. And I know it's a process. I get it. But when you still say, you know what, I'm not going to forgive this person, what you are doing is that, that your soul becomes so rotted that you give the rats permission to come and devour it. That's what it's about. That's why Jesus Christ commands you to forgive. It's not because he wants to make your life miserable. It's because he wants you to live in the bounty of this life. He wants you to taste a little bit of what heaven is like here on this earth. And you can't do that if you are unwilling to forgive those who have hurt you and who have wronged you. Some of you have people that you have not forgiven in decades. And you know what that's like. It just corrupts your soul and my soul as well. I struggled to forgive my father for probably the first 20 years of my life. 
the man who literally was responsible for allowing me to come into this world. And for those first 20 years of my life, I can't tell you how insecure, how dark my life was because I was really struggling with that. And what happened was that I learned that in those 20 years, if I, if I look at it now, that's why I would never go back to my 20s. Never. I mean, I'm older now, and one of the things I don't like about getting older is that my body's breaking down, but I would never go back to my early days because I was enslaved to hate, bitterness, envy, jealousy goes down the line. The list goes on and on and on because when you are not willing to forgive someone, you give the devil grounds, a foothold of your soul to them, permission to do whatever he desires in your life. So forgiveness is the key thing. And so why do we forgive? Because Jesus, our king, commands us to. Because he loves us too much for us to live our life in that kind of darkness. And that's why he wants you and I to forgive. So how do we begin to do it? What's the process that we need to take? First, there are two things here that we get in this passage. We are able to forgive when we believe that God has forgiven us first. You are able to forgive someone when you believe that God has forgiven you first. I'm talking, you got to understand it, not from here, but from here. I find that we, when we believe in something as people, we go to the ends of the earth to go for it. Like our belief informs our actions. Our belief emboldens us to do sometimes crazy things. It does that all the time. When we believe in something, it impacts how we're going to do, how we're going to live our lives. Many of you will go to sleep tonight. Why will you go to sleep tonight? Because you believe you're going to wake up tomorrow, right? If you guys knew that you may not wake up tomorrow if you go to sleep tonight, I bet you you won't go to sleep. Your belief informs your actions. And sometimes we do crazy things. Like I was really hoping this week that the Yankees would beat the Red Sox. I was really, and I believed it. I really believed the Yankees would win. I listened to my 660 sports radio, and you know there was a caller that came in, and they were driving to Fenway, not to watch the game because they don't have tickets, but they were driving with a group of three other friends, like four of them in a car, because they believed the Yankees were going to win. And you know what they did? They went to a pub in Boston, and they wanted to rub it into all those Boston fans that Yankees won. Isn't that the craziest thing you've ever heard? One of the craziest things you've ever heard? They didn't even get tickets to the game. They got in their cars and they were willing to drive four hours in that crazy traffic, maybe more than four hours, to watch this game because they believed their team was going to win and they wanted to rub it into the Boston fans. That's crazy. But they believed it. They believed it. They truly believed it with their hearts. Over the, over the last uh, couple of, about 18 months or so, I've been doing some extensive reading and study on global warming. It's really happening. I don't know if you know that. I mean, think about the weather patterns that have been just so awkward over the last several years. And so as, as I've been studying and reading about global warming, uh, I'm realizing that if we don't do something, at least I can just only speak for myself, I got to try something. Because the level of carbon emissions that's going into our atmosphere is going to affect not my lifetime. I'm going to be fine. But it will affect my grandkids. They're not going to have a life if we continue to, you know, uh, allow carbon emissions to be at the level it is today. And so because I truly believe that global warming is happening, I ended up installing solar panels in my house this past summer. And my home now produces 70% of electricity from the sun. Really happy about that. All right, my lease of my car runs out in March, and I've already put $100 down on an electric vehicle. At least I'm doing my part, but my belief in that has informed my actions, right? 
So do you believe you've been forgiven? Do you really believe that you've been forgiven by your father? Because if you believe it, then I'm telling you right now, it will inform, it will embolden you to forgive others. God doesn't want you to agree with him. This is not about you agreeing, because if you agree that you've been forgiven, it does nothing for you. It's about believing in it, because if you believe that you've been forgiven, you will be able to forgive those who wronged you. That's the first step. What do you got to believe in? It's not about agreeing, but what do you have to believe in? Here's what you got to believe in, that you've been forgiven 10,000 bags of gold. That's the debt that God removed from your life and my life, the 10,000 bags. Let's look at this. Let's look at this verse here, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay the master order that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, a servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged him, and I will pay back everything. And here's what the, king, the master did. The servant's master took pity or compassion on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. So what do you have to believe? Not just that your sins were forgiven, but you got to believe the degree of the debt that was forgiven. It was 10,000 bags of gold. That's the level of forgiveness that God has given to you. And no matter what, God would never tell you to do something that he would never do. No matter what, no matter what offense that has been done to us, when you compare it to the debt that God's forgiven us, it doesn't add up more than 100 silver coins. That's as far as it's going to go. So God has always forgiven us of the greater debt. And you have to believe that. You can't just agree with that. If you don't believe that, from your heart, it's going to be very hard for you to forgive those who have wronged you. 10,000 bags of gold, billions and billions of dollars, God has forgiven you of. That's the wrong because he loves you and he cares for you. And he did that how? Why was that such a great debt that we carried? Because that's the level of our sins, our brokenness. And God sent his son, Jesus Christ, which is definitely worth more than 10,000 bags of gold, but that's the worth. That is how much we are worth in God's eyes. He sacrificed his son to die for us on the cross, resurrect from the dead. And as a result of it, now the debt has been removed. What does that mean theologically? Because for some of you, you're thinking, well, why couldn't he just forgive us? Why do you have to send Jesus Christ to die for us on the cross to forgive us? Well, God did forgive us in the past before Jesus. He did it in the Old Testament. Jesus wasn't around, right? But what was the problem? God forgave them, but they always kept sinning again. That was the problem. And whenever they sinned, what happened? God removed himself from them. In the Old Testament, God removes himself from people when they sin because the, because the debt was so big. But why is the cross so important? Why is Jesus so important? Because when God sent Jesus Christ to die for us on the cross and he resurrected from the dead, what that means now is that God no longer will ever separate himself from us. And that's why Paul says there's nothing we could ever do to separate us from the love of God. God is constant. We can separate ourselves from God because of our sins, but God will never do that anymore. That's the 10,000 bags of gold that's been forgiven. God is constant upon our lives. Why? Because he gave up his son to die for you and for me so that he will never, ever leave us ever again. And that is the power. And if you believe that, if you truly believe that from your heart, then how could you not forgive one who owes you 100 silver coins, as bad as it is? When you truly believe that that's what God has done, 
for you so that you can have life today? How could we not forgive those who wronged us? Because no matter what, it only adds up to about 100 silver coins compared to God's 10,000 bags of gold that we've had to be forgiven from. God loves us so much that he was willing to do that, and God will always be constant. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He is there. Because the debt has been removed. Our sins are forgiven. And my hope is that all of you would leave here today knowing the power of that. You would believe in that, and you'll begin to take the steps of forgiving those who have deeply wronged you. I'm not trying to make what they did right because what they did was wrong. And please understand, when you forgive someone, it's not like you're letting them off the hook. They still have to face God one day. You're letting yourself off the hook. Enslaving yourself from the bitterness, the anger, and all that stuff. I find that the people who struggle to forgive people in their lives are oftentimes the ones who haven't fully believed that they've been forgiven. They agree that they've been forgiven, but they don't believe it. Because if you believe you've been forgiven, it will embolden you to forgive other people. That's what it means to be a disciple of Christ. That's why this whole thing is so upside down. That's why the kingdom of God is so counterintuitive to this world. Would you believe that you've been forgiven 10,000 bags of gold? God's just saying if you believe it, you got to forgive the 100 silver coins that other people have taken from you. Second, we're able to forgive when we choose to live under God's grace. We're able to forgive when, we're, when we choose to live under God's grace. We got to choose to live under God's grace. And that means a lot. Let's, let's finish this up. Verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant and you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. The master expected the servant as he was given so much grace and mercy. The master expected for him to choose that, for himself to live in that. And how we live into it is by releasing and giving other people grace and mercy. Will you choose to live in grace today? I think all of you would say yes. But do you know what that means according to this passage? If you and I choose to live under the power of God's grace, that means that you are willing to give that grace to other people as well. So it's not about you just agreeing, or it's not about you just believing that you've been forgiven this 10,000 bags of gold. But once you believe it, you got to say, now I choose to live in your grace, God. And when you choose to live in the grace of God every single day, you have to know that you receive it. You only receive it if you release it. Because that's what he's saying here. The master says, listen, because I've given you this grace, and God has, he sent Jesus Christ. He's given us this grace through the person of Jesus Christ. He expects us now to choose to live under that, and how we choose to do it is by releasing and giving it to other people. But when we don't do that, this passage makes it very clear that guess what? God will take away that grace in your life. He makes it very clear that you will not be forgiven then. 
And he makes it very clear that you cannot have a relationship with your master if you are not willing to be grace, to show grace to other people. God's grace upon our lives, it's free through the person of Jesus Christ, but it's quite costly, though. It requires us to forgive other people. And when we do that, then we know that we truly believe that we've been forgiven, but that we're choosing to live under the grace of God. And that means that when you live under the grace of God, you have to release it to other people. And when you do that, that's how you experience God's love. That's how you truly experience the love of God in a real deep and powerful way. You know, for some of us, because we have people in our lives that we haven't forgiven, there are some of us in here, and you often, like, struggle because don't you, like, (laughs) doesn't it get annoying sometimes to meet somebody, like, at this church, and you feel like, man, they really are experiencing the love of God. Like, I'm not experiencing, but why are they experiencing so much, you know? Like, I I, I said in the first service, but she wasn't here, but, you know, Pastor Shirley, sometimes, like, you're like, man, like, is this a show? Are you really experiencing God's love like this? Because she's like drowning in God's love. Like she just experiences it. You just see it. You're like, come on. Like there's something like, I think this is an act. Were you a theater major in college? Right? (laughs) Thinking like what's good? She's experiencing the love of God. Guys, I've known Shirley for 17, 18 years. Maybe 19 years, Shirley. It's not an act. She lives in it. When you're not willing to forgive people, when you're not willing to choose to live in grace, it's hard for you, almost impossible for you to live under the power of God's love and mercy upon your life. And that's, it's, not, it's not because you're just a thinker, but it's because you're unwilling to forgive because you don't believe that God's forgiven you. You agree that he's forgiven you, but you don't believe it because if you believe that he's forgiven you, you'll choose to live in grace today and you'll forgive those who have truly hurt you. Verse 35, I end with this last haunting statement that Jesus makes. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Meaning you and I will be imprisoned under the tyranny of our own brokenness and darkness for the rest of our lives until we are willing to choose to live under the grace of God. How do you know if you've forgiven someone? It's when you want the best for them. That's when you know you've forgiven someone. And that's what this 30-day challenge is. We're doing this church-wide thing, and today is the last, today is the only day and the last day you can register. We're going to encourage you, because I know you have people you, you struggle to forgive. For the next 30 days, will you pray for that one person for the next 30 days? If you check it off on your communication card today, you're automatically in the group, and I will send you an email every single day, every single day with a Bible verse to encourage you to keep going on. I want this to be really interactive because what I want you to do then is as you pray every day, I want you to journal and I'd love to hear from you like by day 30 how God has transformed you. I've done this enough to know because I've done it with some people I really didn't want to forgive. God will transform you because if you pray a blessing upon somebody's life for 30 days and day one's blessing is so different from day 30s. Day one's is really not a blessing. So what got you? We'll guide you on how to do it. It doesn't really look like a blessing because you're just still so angry. But by the time you get to like day 30, especially day 30, but like I would say like day 15 and on, the blessings are so different that you pray for them on. And that's when you know you've forgiven them. That's when you know you've forgiven them. And so doing this 30-day challenge isn't just about you just checking off a box. That's not what it's about. But it's about God transforming your whole life. And, f- and for you to be God 
in some ways because you're never more like God when you start forgiving people. For you to do something, a supernatural act that God does for us every single time. So I hope that you would submit yourself to the king and you would truly believe that he's forgiven you 10,000 bags of gold and he's just asking you to forgive 100 silver coins of somebody else's offense to you. Believe that and choose to live under the grace of God. I didn't grow up in a home where I saw my parents asking for forgiveness. I just never seen it. They would fight all the time. And my father, as I got older, he would fight and with my mother. And my father had this amazing ability to just, like, even though it was his fault, he twisted it and made it my mom's fault. And that's generational sin because that sucker came down to me eventually, right? And so, like, I remember this one time I was a teenager and, and, uh, and my father was, like, so wrong in doing something, but he blamed it completely on my mom. And I just kind of interjected and I said, hey, uh, dad, you're wrong. I saw the whole thing. And he looked at me with those eyes and he said, you better go upstairs before you regret saying that. And I remember just going upstairs and I just sat in my room and I just said to God, I said, God, thank you that I know now what not to do when I become a husband. You give me the perfect model. I know exactly what not to do, right? Many years later, of course, I meet Jenny, we get married. And in our first year of marriage, since the calling into going into ministry, and so Jenny was open to going into ministry, but the only thing she was not open to is me moving out to California from New Jersey to go to seminary. She didn't want to do that. And I really felt God was leading us there. And so that was an ordeal in and of itself, but it was a miracle. God spoke to her and said, okay, go. And so she decided to go, but she didn't want to go because she was so close with her family. That was like her, her all her, like her, her, the people that were closest to her. And she didn't want to move, but she did because she just wanted to trust in God and trust the calling, right? And so when we got out to California, it was August of 2000, end of August of 2000. She started working at, um, at our seminary, and she did payroll for them, and she got paid like, like under $20,000. That was like nothing, you know? And so like she was also the accountant, so she was kind of like, you know, managing our money and our finances, and we were like, it was tight. And so, like, we would get into fights for anything. I think part of it was that, you know, she was struggling with the reality of being separated from her family. But the other part, she realized we were struggling with money. And so she would yell at me for using too much toilet paper. <laughs> and so we get into fight about that. I'm like, honey, that's not even, like, sanitary. Like, how do you want me to lose less, use less toilet paper? All right? So we would fight over those things. We fought so much. For the first several months that we were there, it was the first year of our marriage. It was ugly. It was really ugly. And I remember it was Valentine's Day of the following year, and it was a tough go at it for a few months. But I was like, it's Valentine's Day. And so she woke up, and I said to her, I said, honey, um, dress up real nice when you go to work. Because when you come back, we're going to go to a real nice restaurant. We'll have a great evening tonight. It's going to be really good. And she looked at me, and she goes, are you sure I can trust you? I said, honey. Just call me the mailman, because I deliver. I deliver, all right? And so I made a, I did research, I booked a restaurant, and we, she comes back, you know, from work. I'm all dressed nice, she's dressed nice. We get in the car, and we start driving down to Los Angeles, all right? It takes about 30, 40 minutes to get there from where we live in Pasadena. And as we're driving there, all of a sudden, she starts talking bad about my mama. And I'm a mama's boy. That was a low blow. I was under the belt. And I started saying, what? And so then I started saying some bad things about her mama. And then before you know it, it was a full-blown fight. We were yelling at each other, no, your mama, no, your mama, no, your mama, no, your mama. It was an ugly, ugly fight. 
Guys, we were so angry at each other, we were sitting outside of the restaurant in the car for 30 minutes yelling at each other. Married couples, can you relate? <laughs> and then she goes this, she says this, she goes, you know what? You ruined this whole evening. You didn't deliver. Let's go home. And I was like, what? Like, I said, can we? I know we're upset. Can you just shut it off? I'll shut it off. I'm hungry. Can we just go and eat? We don't have to talk to each other. Let's just eat and then go home. She said, no, we're going to go home now. And I said, fine. Something triggered when she said, let's go home now. And I want to be honest. I drove back to our home so dangerously hoping to get into an accident. And the more she got scared, the more empowered I felt to keep doing it because I wanted her to pay for what she just did. I mean, she started it. I was so angry, all right? And so our apartment back home, our parking lot was about a block and a half from our apartment, all right? And uh, usually because, you know, I'm a gentleman, I would always just drop her off right in front of the apartment, and then I'd kind of make the big turn and go back and then park, and then I'd walk the block and a half to our apartment and things like that. I was so angry at her, I was not going to drop her off in front of the apartment. I wasn't even going to drop her, drop her off by the parking lot. I was like a block away, and I just said, get out! And she looked at me, and she just marched on out, and she just started walking there. And I got into the parking lot, and I just thought, man, she just ruined the night. It was a great evening. We were just driving, and she started talking bad about my mom. And we just got into this really ugly fight. And I just said, you know what? I'm not done. I'm not done fighting. I'm, I was hangry. I was like, I'm ready to go for another round. So I went to the house. The, all the lights were turned off. And I was like, oh, she's, she's pretending to sleep. Okay, let me wake her up. So I went in. She wasn't even in the house. And then I got even more angry. I'm like, did she just try to run away from home? Like, who does she think she is? And so just in anger, I'm looking all over for her around the block. I can't find her. And then it starts to grow into concern. I wasn't concerned about her. I was concerned for myself. Because here I am trying to be a pastor at a seminary. And my wife runs away from home. I'm thinking, what are people going to think about me? So I'm concerned about, I got to find her so that people don't, so that she doesn't run away from home. So I'm looking for her and I can't find her. And then I finally, and start to get concerned. So I'm like, where does she go? There's really no place to go. I couldn't find her. I start walking back into our apartment. There's like a little courtyard and there's a back area, like the laundry room. It's garbage dumpster. It's really dark. And I would never think she would be back there. And so I just walked back there and there she was. Kimchi squatting and just crying with her head down. And I looked at her, and I couldn't be angry with her at that moment, and I just said, hey, let's just go back up. And that night, we just went to sleep, completely hungry. I woke up the next morning, because you know I'm a good Christian, I, I got my Bible, and I was ready to pray and have my quiet time for Jesus. <laughs> and as I got my Bible, and I was reading my Bible, I was getting ready to pray, you know what God said to me? He said, Peter, you're just like your father. You've become the man you said you would never become. You're just like him to the T. And I said, God, she started it. She started it. I didn't do anything. She started it. And he said, you need to ask her to forgive you when she wakes up. And I said, no. I was like, she started it. She's got to ask for forgiveness first before I ask her to forgive me. And he said, Peter, it's not about being right or wrong, but it's about being righteous. Will you choose to live the righteous life? That was hard. I said, okay. She got up, and I went over to her, and I said, hey, will you forgive me for what I've done? Will you please forgive me? 
And of course she did. Mentor, I've taken that little principle of asking for forgiveness, and I've applied that to our marriage for the past 22 years. And Jenny's the best friend I ever had. You know what the key is? The key is to ask for forgiveness. Because if you can ask for forgiveness, you can forgive those who've wronged you. I'm telling you right now, my wife has forgiven me a lot more than 77 times. <laughs> Even more than 400 and what's that? 470 times in some of your translations. And I've forgiven her a lot as well. And here's the thing. I really wish that we as people can be in love relations with others and we don't hurt each other. But that just doesn't happen because we're broken people. We're just naturally broken. So in our brokenness, what happens is that people will wrong us, people will hurt us, people will do things that will just really deep, the ones that we want to be closest to, they will deeply hurt us. And the challenge is simply this, will you forgive? It's part of life, unfortunately. But when you can participate in the natural act of forgiveness, then you can encounter the height and depth and width of God's love for you and for me. So today, will you accept the 30-day forgiveness challenge? Will you forgive and pray a daily blessing upon somebody that you consider to be unforgivable in your life? You can do it if you truly believe that you've been forgiven 10,000 bags of gold and if you choose to live in grace. Let's pray. So why don't you just make that choice today? Take the, this forgiveness challenge. Make sure you check it off on the comp card. We'll do that later. But say, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to take that forgiveness challenge. I just want you to just go to God and just commit that the next 30 days to him. And as you do that, um, I am going to uh, pray for us. And we'll continue on in the service. Go to him. God, I pray that you would help us. You would help us to realize that we cannot go on living life completely unscathed of being hurt. You can't even go on doing that. It's amazing that you are our king. You are our creator, but yet we can still hurt you because when we sin, we have chosen to distance ourselves from you. And we hurt you. And yet you never stop forgiving us when we ask for it. And so, God, because of the world in which we live and because of our own depravity of our human condition, God, I know that we will continue to hurt the ones we love the most many times. And we'll be hurt by the ones that we expect and believe should not hurt us. Lord, help us to believe, not agree that you've forgiven us of a debt literally worth 10,000 bags of gold. And help us to believe that you're only asking us to forgive a debt of someone else who has hurt us, not worth more than about 100 silver coins. Help us to believe that because it'll inform us, it'll embolden us 
to choose grace and offer it to others who've wronged us. So I pray for those who've committed to this 30-day challenge, God. I pray that you would just embolden them to pray a blessing upon those that have truly hurt them. And as they do that every single day, God, I pray that you would do a work in their lives, a deep work, God, so they no longer will live in a place of hopelessness, despair, depression, anger, hate, negativity. Set them free so that the enemy will no longer have permission to invade their soul. So be with our church, God. Be with our community here. Guide us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So if you could please take out your communication card, it's going to be on your, on your app. But if you don't have our app, it's at emetro.org slash Sunday, all right? So please, let's look at this. Uh, I'm committing, first one is I'm committing my life to Jesus for the very first time. If you've never done that, please check that off. We will love to get back to you and, uh, and help you to grow in your relationship with God. That's the first one, all right? Second, I will accept the forgiveness challenge by praying a daily blessing towards an unforgivable person in my life for the next 30 days. If you do that, if you check that off on the communication card, you're automatic, you are automatically in the group. And you'll get an email from me by tomorrow morning. We'll start it off. 30 days, you'll get an email every day with a Bible verse and a little other encouragement, hopefully, that I'll put in that email so that you can go on. And I want you to sort of, you know, interact with me and just, you know, share how hard it might be or if God's changing your heart, feel free to share that. I'd love to just get some feedback on it. But please, uh, if you're watching online, one of our staff members are going to put that in the chat room, hopefully now or within the next minute or two. Pay attention to it. If you click on it, it's going to get you into a form. All right? If you don't click on the communication card, it's going to get you into a form, and you got to fill out that form. All right? So just kind of letting you know that. But if you check off the communication card, you should be all good. All right. Third, I will attend Metro's in-person service for the next four weeks. Hear me on this now. And I'm serious. If you're vaccinated and you've gone back to work and you go out and you go to restaurants, you go to malls, your kids are back at school, you need to come back home. You need to come back to church because your presence here is very important. If you're only staying home because it's more convenient for you, Christianity and discipleship is never meant to be convenient. I hope that God will stir something within your soul right now watching and you're going to say, you know what, I'm going to start coming out again. Just try it for four weeks. Don't let fear cause you to stay home. We've been doing this in-person service for the past uh, since April. And because we've been very cautious, not one person, thankfully, not one person has gotten COVID. And so we're careful here. You can come back. This is a safe place for your children and you to come back and be a part of community again. You are the church. We are the church. And we need you back home. So come back for the next four Sundays. Say, Peter, I'll be here. I'm going to commit. And let God do a work in your heart during those next four Sundays. And hopefully, you'll stay here forever. <laughs> All right? So uh, fourth, I'm interested in serving in the Metro social media team. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of leading this team. It's the social media team. If you're interested, now listen, if you don't know anything about social media, please don't check it off. Because I don't know anything about social media, all right? So it's like the blind leading the blind. No, 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 no. This is if you actually love social media and you're on it and you know some things about it. If you're working in social media, please sign up. 
We'll go out, have a dinner. I'd love to just talk to you. We got to figure out how to do this. You know why? Because people who aren't Christians, the Gen Zers, their world is social media. And if we're not willing to enter into that and expect them just to come here, that's ridiculous. Jesus always went to the streets and met the people where they were. And so we got to figure this out. But I don't know much about social media, so I'd really need your help. All right, if you would like to sign up, just check that off. We'll get together and have a kind of powwow session. Really encouraged, met two people that said they checked it off and they actually work in social media. I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. But we need more people. We need more people. Please sign up for that, all right? Uh, five, I will sign up for a fall small group. Uh, it's happening and I think it starts on the 24th, October 24th. So please sign up. Got a couple more weeks and then that's it. And some groups are actually in person. I think that would be really wonderful for you to be a part of, all right? So make sure you sign up for that. And the last thing is I want to volunteer for Fall Fun Fest and open store on October 31st. If, you, if you're watching online, check that off. Guys, this is gonna be important. We're gonna be the church on October 31st. The open store, we're partnering with Jewish synagogues to do this. It's not just a metro thing. And that's kind of what God's called our church to be, is to be a, a place where we can bring people together and other faiths together and connect in that way. And we're gonna serve by giving clothes to people in the community. What a great way. But the other thing that we really need help on is, uh, oh, I'm sorry, trunk or treat. Oh, no, I'm sorry, not trunk or treat, fun fest. Sorry, Auntie. Sorry. We need 30 trunks. We need 30 of your cars. I need you to volunteer and put candy in there so that the community can come out and some of the kids in our church can come out and have a great time picking candy. But it's an opportunity for you to show love through a little bit of sugar. All right? So please, please sign up. We need 30 trunks. 30 trunks. You can sign out there. Mama, Mama Moore's got a, a, a table out there. Please sign up for this before you leave. If you're online, just check it off, and we'll get back to you this week. All right? And uh, let's, let's do church. Let's be the church by doing church on October 31st. Every time we've placed this challenge upon this community, you guys have been stellar. You've always rose up to the occasion. And just do it and see how God can use you on October 31st. All right?